This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Good to be back with you once again for another edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and also available on the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Got two great discussions about to take place on episode 175 here. Second, we're going to be talking with Superintendent of Schools in Caddo Parish, that's North Louisiana, the Shreveport area, Dr. Lamar Gorey. He is a product of that school system. I think both of his parents taught there. I know his father taught there because he posted something about that on social media a few days ago. His mother was an educator. He went to college at Morehouse, and then I think he, well, I know he worked in Dallas before coming home to becoming uh, to become the head man at the Caddo school system. And they're doing some great work up there. And, and my company has done some work, actually, with the Caddo system. And I've gotten a chance to see them work closely together. And, man, school systems have such an interesting job now. They really do have to be in the business of educating kids and getting most of the money to the classroom. But they're dealing with so many different kinds of socioeconomic issues that exist. And these kids don't leave their home at home. Many of them bring their homes to the school. And still having said that, the district has to do the job of making certain the kids are prepared for life after 12th grade. And in so many cases, kids don't get there. And so it's fascinating. We had David Tapman on last week, and he talked about it from the perspective of a board member down here. And Dr. Gorey is going to talk about it from the perspective of a school superintendent. And so looking forward to that. That is going to be the second discussion in this week's show, probably the longest one. Before that, Bishop Omar Jawar, who is the top guy at Urban Specialists, the founder and CEO of Urban Specialists. They've got an addition in Dallas and Atlanta, and they are launching in Baton Rouge. They're working on an event that's going to be coming up next month that you will hear a little bit about, but he and I are going to talk about this culture of violence issue that he has been addressing for a great number of years and dig into what the hell is happening? What's going on? Why is there so much violence? And why does it seem to be at a moving at a clip that no one seems to be able to do anything about? And so we'll talk with him about that. He'll be first. I actually did something I hadn't done before on social media. And, you know, I'm so careful with, with, with social media just because there is so much negativity on it. And it seems like people don't just go on to enjoy life or talk about family experiences. They tear each other apart. People go on and they're cynical in some of the comment sections. And so I'm careful about who I'm following, who I read and what I read. And I will unfollow somebody in a heartbeat because I don't need that negativity. We're so bombarded with it. That you remember the ladies from the waiting room came in here and they talked with us about that. And they referenced the fact that there are people who are actually battling depression because of their addiction to social media, that they are shaping their realities based upon what's on Twitter or Facebook, Facebook or Instagram. And it's a real thing. But I wanted to just ask people, I didn't know the response was going to be as overwhelming as it was. But here was my question on social media. And as we record this open, I'm still getting feedback on it. It was uh, on a scale of one to 10, where do you rate the atmosphere in America and why? 
one being hopeless and 10 being excellent. Shoot it straight. I'd like to use what you say in my next podcast. So the first one up was by Jason, who says five, uncertainty everywhere. Ronnie says a solid three. Don says seven, manufacturing coming back, more jobs, not in Louisiana, though. Ken says six, just going through this so you can see the perspective. He says six, we will never be great until we learn to call things as they are. Racial, gender inequality, politicians with personal growth intentions versus doing what is best for their constituents, stagnant wages, failing infrastructure, etc. Deborah says economically booming, socially frightening because of all of the unabashed hatred. I would rate it a six at this writing. Michelle says a five. However, not in Louisiana. I feel like we are so behind the times. I think we are teetering. We have the potential to be so much better. We need leadership who attacks the problem head on and isn't afraid of quote unquote political correctness. Billy says a four. The economy is good in some ways, but still mainly benefiting the already wealthy and the hatred perpetuated and made worse by this administration is frightening. Franz says three. What's up, Franz? I think we are in a bad place in our history. We have forgotten what it means to be a country, forgotten what it means to be unified. I think we have forgotten how to care about people and issues except when it concerns us or political opportunism. We have misplaced patriotism and use fear as a mechanism to affect action. Political leaders care more about grandstanding than making things better. We are a great country and can do great things. I am optimistic that we can change for the better. Now, John has a rather long post. I'm going to try to get through most of it here. In fact, he might have, I have the longest one of what I have happening here. But we'll take a dive in. John says, interesting question. I feel that as individuals, we can believe in making a difference on our own. What I mean is we have control we have control to be polite and respectful to each other. It's easy to be cynical in life and let the media control our thoughts. We all have differences and options and we all have challenges in life. But we do have the ability to lift people up and try to make everyone feel better about themselves. Sure evil is always around us, but I choose to care about the rule of law and the fact that no matter your race creed or religion it's better to help people respect their opinion i do feel for those people that feel that because i am a white male that i would put myself above any other human for the record i do love my neighbor as i love myself that being said i do have a problem with those out there that want to manipulate people and try to create controversy just to further their own agenda that was a good one you can give me a number there though john it's optimistic, so I would assume you mean above five, though. What a good post. David says, I'd give it a 7.5. There is a better economy and wariness to our international relations. There is an excitement around the U.S. Yes, some of it is anger slash violent, and people are paying attention to politics, family, and life. We're not in a boom, he writes in all caps, but we are climbing the mountain. Even with the bugaboos of poverty, racism, and war, the U.S. is working to alleviate all. 
sometimes successful, sometimes not, but still working at it. That's the confidence I have in the United States. Kyle says simply six. Bishop Omar, who you are going to hear from in just a little bit, says America is cautiously awaiting our collective next steps. We are looking for answers. I guess I'll get him to give me a number when he's on here with us in a little while. Debbie says five. We're straddling the fence on social and economic issues in our area and across the nation because we have no leaders that give us hope that it will get better. David says six. We are lost and rudderless without principled adherence to our founding, but instead we use loose interpretations of our Constitution and Bill of Rights as a license, all the while denying the obvious intent of our founders. Common sense is in short supply, but America, the grand experiment, is still alive and kicking, and we will, f- we will figure it out. With spirits of entrepreneurial genius guiding by, guided by the Holy Spirit himself, we will emerge again as a beacon to the world. Cheryl says, it's funny how, it's funny you asked this question today on the anniversary of a time when our country pulled together and stood strong in the midst of tragedy. I told her actually in my comment that that was on purpose. Uh, now divisiveness is glorified in the media and on social media. I find myself more disheartened as I see people demonstrate a total lack of caring for each other in the public eye, on the road, and on the internet, no doubt. My boss, a woman I admire, said she has learned that she has the inner strength to remain gracious and, quote, go high, unquote, in the midst of hateful voices and actions. That gives me hope, as does the reality that there are more good people than bad. I just wish those good people would get so much attention uh, that, the ba- that it would drown out and make irrelevant the bad. That's good. Sorelda says one, and I feel that a harmless, harmful, excuse me, harmful substance is being released. Rachel says five. Janet says six. Since I am a person who believes in seeing the good, I feel there is still so much American spirit and good happening in our country. America knows how to come together and unite when others are in need. We are a prosperous country in so many ways. Unfortunately, I have become increasingly delusioned or disillusioned and how the media and our leaders have an agenda that keep us filled with fear and blaming others. I still very much believe that there is hope that we can be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Achilles says it's a 10 in the gym. Uh, Keisha says, five, it will get worse before it gets better. Our current POTUS says, make America great again. But my God says, we reap what we sow. America will reap the sins of her past. She is still a baby country compared to other countries on this beautiful planet. Once she works past her growing pains, she will finally be great. Francis says, I think one, that maybe that finger emoji means one. It's not the middle finger, so I guess it means one. As a human race, we have forgotten that we are all one people, which is the way God intended it to be. This didn't happen yesterday, and it's going to take everyone looking into a mirror and truly searching his or her reflection, making adjustments, and walking away and walking away made over. I get that. Does anyone see this that happening? 
man, if you read some of these posts, I don't know. But people are keeping it real. And so it goes on. It's like there's a few other long ones, a couple others I wanted to get to. Uh, Rachel says four. Joycea says one, hopeless. Wow. Uh, Keith says Clay. Despite what we hear from the media, I am upbeat about our state of affairs. So good to see many people being patriotic and being positively assertive about their beliefs. Sure, there are glaring political conflicts, but open and honest sharing helps us grow. I agree, Keith. I agree. And he says he is an he puts it at eight. Chris, Chris said Christopher. There have always been disagreements among among loyal Americans. That is a good thing. The difference now is that there are those who hate what America stands for and are working to remake it into something that would be unrecognizable to our founders. To do this, they must constantly be creating discord, fueling racial antipathy, and inciting chaos wherever they can, and lying. They do a lot of lying. Fortunately, these people are steadily being exposed for who and what they are. The Orkin Man cometh, Chris writes. Let's see. J.D. That depends on where you stand on the political, religious, and economic spectrum. Given we no longer have agreed upon definitions, uh, then we no longer see situations with commonality. Thus, same world with multiple views of degree of good and bad. That's a J.D. answer. Great question, Clay. Julio, six for now. Lots of good things happening in America, but only hear the negative and toxic things. Uh, oh, let me go back. He references Gordy. I'm going to go back. Gordy, where's Gordy at? Gordy says five. And actually before Gordy, wow, a couple that I missed there that are really good. So many of these, man. Kurt, Kurt says negative five. <laughs> okay, dude. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to get back to Julio. David. David says five. The atmosphere is toxic. That's David Tapman. The, the atmosphere is toxic. Civil discourse is nearly impossible today. It is very difficult to have a meaningful debate with anyone without deteriorating into name calling, personal attacks, and even violence. No doubt. The media amplify, amplifies this, if I could say that word. It makes it difficult to discuss important issues in a meaning, meaningful way. Our country is great and our people are wonderful. I am proud to be an American. I want more for our community and our country. Here's Gordy. Gordy says five, like David. He says, I'm so tired of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Washington, comma, politics. No doubt. Oh, man. And so back to Julio here. Great question, Clay. Six for now. Lots of good things happening in America, but only hear the negative and toxic things. I am with Gordy, tired of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, politics, Washington, D.C. The government is not the answer to any of our problems. Sad day that no civil discourse can take place without hate, personal attacks, etc. One reason things seem to be getting worse is the rise of mass communication. The Internet, computers and iPhones have all enabled us to hear about violence, wars and catastrophes almost instantly. One hundred years ago, it would have taken a lot longer for sto for these stories to cross such distance. And those stories that did make it were few and far between. 
There is also research that shows at least 70% of the stories covered by the news have to be negative. Otherwise, people don't watch it. That is a very, very interesting and and boy, we're going to have to dive into that one day because that if you knew some of the inside baseball on some of that, that's heavy. That's 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 a good point. That's one worth exploring further in the future. It isn't the media, the media's fault. They are catering to their audience. Us, he writes parenthetically. On the other hand, the advances in technology and healthcare are helping people live longer Uh, The economy is on an upswing. People are awakening to their faith. Many people have discovered their purpose in life that last last couple of years, realizing that it's not material possession that brings contentment, but love of family and friends and investing in relationships and memories. Literacy rate is declining. So is infant mortality and poverty. I can list more, but I feel like I'm on a rant now. No doubt. I will email more thoughts for your podcast, but bottom line, brother, is that with all of the warts and challenges America has at moment, it is still the greatest country on the planet. More later. Good morning, America. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a bunch of them. You can go read them on my Facebook page, Facebook slash Clay Young, and I appreciate it. I went through as many of those as I can without spending 30 minutes just reading comments, but I appreciate you all. I I appreciate perspectives from both sides, and speaking of perspective, up next, Bishop Omar Jawar with Urban Specialists, who will be on the show to talk with us about his perspective on what we just talked about, and that is next. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. So, John, the swarming season for termites is over, and some people may assume that the danger is also over. That would be wrong, correct? Correct, yeah. Termites pose a major problem for homeowners in, in South Louisiana, mm-hmm. and it's pretty much year-round. It's right. just that during the swarming season, you have an, extra, an opportunity to find out if you actually have That's right. station. That's mm-hmm. right. So it's a good warning sign for you. So what do you do then? Well, the first thing you need to do is inspect around the bottom of the slab really thoroughly to see if you see any signs, any mud tunnels coming up the side of the home, uh, any visual activity in in the base of the structure, like you Mm -hmm. actually see the termites, et cetera. And then come see us and we'll talk to you about whether you have an existing problem or not because it's two different treatments. Both are soil applications, though. We've had our share of troubles here in Baton Rouge. If I need to get to you to find this, where can I find you? Well, in Baton Rouge, we're located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or if you have questions, just give us a call at 273-4788. Back with Bishop Omar Jawar, who is the founder and CEO of Urban Specialists. You heard me talk about Urban Specialists in the open. He is also the pastor of Kingdom Worship and Restoration Church in Dallas, Texas. 
and he's he's one of my dearest friends and a great man. Bishop, what's going on, brother? Hey, sir, how are you? And I'm also his drinking partner. That <laughs> that's right. No, I don't want none of my parishioners to hear that. That's right. No, no, no. That's a good joke right there. <laughs> he says it in jest. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, listen, so, you know, I just read through a bunch of the comments from social media that I got uh, from Facebook and Twitter. And you you got a chance to see some of those comments, right? I did. I read them. I, did. I, th- I think that it was a wide-ranging perspective from people, but <laughs> it was all civil. I think it stayed civil. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I think that the people are recognizing where we are, but but but, but they're they looking at it so um, – they're looking at it hopeful and practical. So that's how you that's how they stay in that in that lane of civility. And I liked it. I really did. I thought it was really it was powerful that people are paying, but but here's what you do know that that is a true awareness right now. People are paying attention. They are paying attention and I think that that's a good thing, but the the atmosphere is so toxic and more than one person commented on the role the media is playing and keeping this toxicity in the air. What what is your take on that? Yeah, man. You we they used to say if it bleeds, it leads. And that's what has happened. I think that because of the unfiltered way information is getting to the public, the media is saying we gotta compete with Twitter. We gotta compete with Instagram. We gotta compete. And so they have said let's become sensationalists rather than journalists. And that is dangerous in a time where you got to have balanced information, where you are really, really uh, attempting to tell the right story, not just tell the most exciting story. You often attack what you call the culture of violence. For people who have not heard you talk about that or who didn't hear you on the first couple times you were on, take us through what you mean when you when you are going after the culture of violence in America. See, that is this idea that says we can have a free fall because we are survivalists. See, when you're a survivalist, you, you, you suspend the rules. And so this culture has adopted this savagery in the way they communicate, especially in urban culture. Urban culture has said it's okay to suspend the rules. And that suspension of those rules has caused this culture to become very uh, toxic and distasteful in my opinion uh especially with those who need to be protected the most our children and so and so you can have two a-list celebrities fighting and in, in, in fighting fifty thousand dollar gowns because in their mind we this is what we do or you can have uh, a senseless, senseless attack in the street from a gangster because this one would be or you can have a police police shooter or you can have a school bullying it has become this cultural norm. And so what we have said is we must change this, and we got to be intentional about that change. How, how do you initiate that change? Well, you got to get cultural influencers who can hear, who, who have a different perspective, who believe in, in uh, you know, they, 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 they got to believe in something bigger than just survival right now, you know. Uh, and so we find those influencers. And we empower them with a new message. We get on the ground and we change the narrative a bit. We we intervene in violent ideas, and we make violent ideas so problematic 
So we what we call we create what we call a pause in in the normal behavior. And so we do those things, just urban specialists we do that, so that we start creating a new culture. And then it, it bleeds over into a different mindset and then you can have real change. It's interesting because there are so many groups out there that are making the attempt and they are failing at it. And it isn't because they don't they're not well intentioned or they're not educated, but they just can't seem to penetrate and get in and have that success. Why is that so? Because I think that if you are a doctor administering medicine for a sickness that does not exist or a sickness that is not the, the, the most critical thing, you, you, you be well-intentioned, but misdiagnosing. You know, you can be misdiagnosing the, the client. Most people are afraid to deal with what I'm talking about. Dealing with a culture of violence, when you got to get close enough to the client to do proper uh, analysis. And so when you're not with it, you can't do a drive-by analysis on stuff that we deal with. So that is the difference. And so I think you have people who are saying, I hope I'm hitting the target. And then we're saying, we're not playing archery. We we playing pin the tail on the donkey, you know. <laughs> so we got a different mindset. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. <laughs> you know that? Well, you know, it's it's funny because it's it it is it's growing and on social media it feeds it, man. I mean the negativity is on steroids on social media. So much so that yeah. people are just dis deactivating their accounts and walking away from it because of the impact it has on their day to day lives. Man, Clay, I'm telling you, the other day I almost went bought me a flip phone. I said, I'm tired. Man. <laughs> I'm just gonna go back to the flip hey, phone. Hey, I've been thinking. Face. I've been thinking about that for a long time. Is going back to <laughs> get me an old dinosaur phone, man, where I don't have to get any texts or updates or anything, man. Because yeah, you you can't yeah, escape it nowadays. Live, live in blissful ignorance. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So when you are, let's specifically young men, African American males which draw so much attention with all of these studies and all of these groups that come around to say they want to help them and they don't gain credibility with these young men. Why is that? Right. Well, because see, the easiest thing to relate to is what you are currently experiencing. So if you and I are currently experiencing harshness, then I need someone to talk to me from that perspective. This is harder to talk about dreams when you said I'm living in a nightmare. Who's trying to explain to me how to get out of it? Explain the nightmare. And so they have so many of these cultural agitators who can relate to the pain, but what they miss is they don't have a proper solution to get to the remedy. And so when we, so so that's that's the, that's why you got these, especially African American males who identify with the pain. They are pain driven. Because in their mind, and so you know, this is a real deep conversation that we we can have as enough, you know, whenever we got time to really go deep. Because because you got these pain practitioners, these victimizers who act like leaders, who become part of our uh, political agitation and all of that, who gain from their misery, who keep this narrative in front of their face. Like I told some guys the other day, I said, "Say, man." Did you know it was people getting paid millions of dollars studying you like you the Loch Ness Monster, like right. Bigfoot? That's right. And you getting shot being you. Right. I said, dude, it's a person that see your value. You just don't. Feel like see your value. Right. 
you just don't understand your value. So you just putting on the shoes and don't understand that you could open the store. You just don't get it. Yet. But that's a whole other thing. But that's that's what it is, in my opinion. I I, I eventually want to get to, and we'll get to it next. What's about to happen in Baton Rouge next month? But I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the atmosphere in Dallas right now based upon the the police officer Dallas police officer shooting the young man young man uh, she she says she went into the wrong apartment inadvertently and there was some kind of a of a altercation there and she ends up shooting this young man now in the interest of just being transparent with people the story doesn't really hold up uh, to me I don't know I can't I can't make that work in my mind I think even if the story happens the way that she says it happened. She should be charged at uh, negligent homicide, whatever you want to call it. But she shot a man in his house and it was her mistake. But what is the atmosphere in Dallas right now in the aftermath of that? And you had Dallas is Dallas is very, very tense right now. You got a lot of the activists who who are using this as their moment. You got painful people realizing what you just said. Whether it was an accident, whether it was negligence, whether it was exhaustion, it's a brother dead for nothing. Just period point blank, man. And you at your house. And then and then the narrative of who that young man was is is also tragic because he was a great young man doing the right thing. You know, it just it's just Well and you know so and you know, even if even if he wasn't, I mean, and everything about him has been fantastic. And listen, you you won't find a person who is more pro law enforcement than I am. And I know that you're very pro law enforcement as well. But I mean, you, you, listen, I mean, don't give me crap and tell me it's oatmeal, okay? Right. It's like, you know, and and so I think in this regard, the, there has to be a standard kept. And I still right. don't know that we've gotten the full story about this. But like you said, this is a moment for opportunists who want to come out and divide the public even more to use something like this as an example if I think justice isn't served in this case. Absolutely right. So that's why we've been we've weighed in into the narrative saying that, that this moment be let this moment be where we all come together and say, stop this culture of violence. To where it's so easy to say, you know, when you have created a monster, whoever created it, the goal is to kill the monster. Right. You know, because because that's just what it is. You know, urban life has said there are monsters in it. Yeah. And so the elimination of those monsters, we normally applaud that. So it's a it's a deep issue. So we're praying. I'm I'm very prayerful right now. I got my people on. I meet with the chief on the uh, I think the 18th, 19th, somewhere in there. So because I want to bring some ideas from a policy side that could help. Uh, because regardless of whatever happens, Dallas is going to get sued yeah. very very hard yeah. on this one. It's, yeah. You know, all of that's coming. So I, I, I want to talk to you about some policy ideas that can promote great offices and protect great citizens. That's why I'm at. Absolutely. And, and again, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. I think you got to let the system works, but let, let the system work. But this one, to me, just kind of looks like a pretty clear case of negligence on the part of the officer. Let's talk about Baton Rouge on October 14th. Okay, man. Clay, every one of your listeners need to hear this. On October 14th, we will 
you know, if you're dealing with violence, if you're afraid, if you need to understand how we can change it, this brother on the line, not me, the other one, Clay, <laughs> has been in the front lines of saying, man, Baton Rouge will not have an narrative that says violence is our way of communication. Amen. So we've been really working uh, for almost a year now just in connection and getting people together. It's just been great. But here's the, here's the bottom line. That on October 14th, we're going to have a course correction conversation where we bring many of those great people together. And, and it's, it's Clay, it's myself, it's Chief Murphy Paul, it's uh, Todd Graves, it's at the Raising Kings. Uh, River Center. River Center. Yeah. It's Sunday night. There is no Saints game. So you, can, That's right. you won't be drunk. You get drunk <laughs> the next day because I think they got a Monday night game. <laughs> but you need to come out. And enjoy this moment. Now, there's going to be an unveiling historic oh unveiling. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, listen to me. The hearse that Dr. King took his final ride in, the hearse ambulance that took him to his last destination, he took his last breath in that, that has been, that hearse has been in storage for 50 years. 50 it's years. It's going to be unveiled that night. Right. The first time ever you can go in and see it and touch it and really feel that moment. It's, it's, it's going to bring chills. So it's going to be just huge, man. So you want to? You got to Now listen, we're going to talk about this more the closer we get to it, but do you want to drop any names about who may be in the house for that event, or do you want to oh, save yeah. it? Uh, no, no, we could drop it. Snoop, I, we talked to Snoop. Snoop, Snoop Dogg was like, hey man, I'm in. Deion Sanders said, I'm in. Uh, Darius, the guy. Darius Geis, back. yeah. Darius Geis said, hey man, Count me in. It's just so many that that we and we you know you know we got fillers out for Shaquille for Dale Brown for this. Yeah. the mayor has said I mean this this is going to be one of those moments that you're going to tell your children about. Absolutely. Uh, so this is a big deal. Don't miss this. This is course correction bad rules. It's big, man. And, and then um, I've I've gotten in touch with the, the, some out of Georgia Pacific and that network. They said they're going to bring up full board who they are there. It's just going to be a great, great moment in time. October 14th, October 14th at the Race Games River Center Sunday night. Six o'clock doors open. Come out. It's going to be good. And you'll be able to meet the person behind the voice. That <laughs> that that voice that causes radio people to tremble. Clay Young. <laughs> you'll get to see them. Well, listen, <laughs> let, let, me, let me, before before we wrap up, though, selfishly, I do want you to tell people about Urban Specialists if they haven't heard it. Just kind of give us the elevator pitch on what is Urban Specialists. Urban Specialists, what, what it is, it is a company that says, that urban culture can change, especially as it relates to dealing with violence, violent interaction. And it changes through programs and systems, but mainly it's individuals that we call urban specialists, those who are not afraid to attack that terrain. We use a high five, we, we use a three eye model, we use we use our methodology, but it is inspiring people to inspire others to say violence will not be the language of urban culture. And we and we are happy to show as much as we can to Baton Rouge what we mean, whether it be in schools, law enforcement, all kinds of stuff. We'll, we'll and we'll and we'll give you more of our of of, of of who we are because we're coming to Baton Rouge doing a lot. We already there, but we're doing a lot more exposure. Uh, and Clay, you've been brilliant at helping us do it. So thank you. Well, you know, the bottom line is we can sit on the sidelines and complain, or we can jump in and try to fix it. 
And, you know, I, I, I believe in fixing that what's broken. So and you y'all are doing a great job, as I said in the open, that Urban Specialist is already in Dallas where Bishop Omar founded it. It's in Atlanta now and it's in Baton Rouge. And actually, they have been developing and building it here in Baton Rouge since MLK Day. So this is almost a full circle, ironic thing. It was announced at the course correction conversation on MLK Day in Dallas. And the first yep. Baton Rouge event, the big event, will be here with a piece of history tied to Dr. King. So, man, think about that. That's that's so in- interesting. I know it, man. I, I'm, I, it's serious, chill, though. My smile, I'm serious, man. So I, I can't wait, Clay. So and listen, we in, brother. And I got to and, and, and wrap with this. Last week, Bishop and Omar and I were together in New Orleans, and Dion was in New Orleans with a bunch of young men that he took to the Saints practice. We got a chance to watch the Saints practice. Evidently, they might have yes. to change a couple things after that practice, after that uh, <laughs> that woodshed run Tampa put on him. But but I was yeah, – that thing you, that he's – You said on your – I read your post. You said it's just one week. Everybody That's right. Out. Everybody chillax. <laughs> and so but, – yeah. but what he's doing – tell everybody what he did with those young men because, man, that was fascinating to watch. Yeah, Dion took these young men all of, from Dallas all the way to Florida – but they stopped at the New Orleans Saints uh, facility. And Sean Payton, man, who is, is man, he's a great guy. I, I'm almost wearing, I'm almost wearing the gold right now, the gold, black and gold. Uh oh. I'm, I'm almost converted because Uh-oh. he was so great. They took them throughout the facility, make sure they could walk everywhere. They gave them access. It was just one of those wonderful moments that they will never forget. And then they got to tour Tulane College. They right. toured the. Uh, they, 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 they toured, you know, the New Orleans uh, high schools there that yeah. were a part of. It's, it was just, this, this moment was great. But, and Dion did this just for these young people to see how far life can really take you. Right. And he did it on his own. He rode, I rode in the van with him. It was, it was just unbelievable. And the Saints were wonderful. Yes, man. they we were. Had all of the players. Yep. Drew Brees yep. was great. Yeah. Sean Payton took hours with us. It was just great, man. So, New Orleans, y'all got to go with that now. Don't, yeah. don't give up on them. No, I think it's week one. I still think that team could could compete for a Super Bowl, but it was good to watch him practice, and, and what Prime is doing with those kids is great. But listen, I'll see you in a couple of days, man. I'm looking forward to it. Brother, I'm, I can't wait to see you. I love you. You know you my brother for real, man. So whatever we can do, let's do it. Love you too, brother. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 mobile app. Back with Dr. Lamar Gorey, who is the superintendent of schools in Caddo Parish. He has been there since 2013 on the job and is a hard, hard worker there. What's going on, man? How are you? Clay, I'm doing really good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I'm sure as you know, because you are a product of Caddo schools, how important a school district is to the future of any parish, county, area in America. And right now, more than any other time, there is so much scrutiny on public education. First off, what is the status of education in Caddo Parish? 
You know, we are really, really encouraged at, with the current state of our education system in Caddo Parish. Uh, you know, we don't brag that we are a system that's perfect. Uh, we don't even brag that we're a system that have, has accomplished everything that we need to accomplish. But we are an urban system that is in the process of working hard every day to provide, you know, all of our, our scholars with the very best educational opportunities that we can. Uh, we do embrace that we're urban, though, and that in that respect, you know, we have high poverty. Uh, and with that poverty, there are some concerns that research shows uh, come with that. But we're, we're working hard to address those things every day. You are a product of that system, as I as I referenced earlier. And let's let's start at the beginning. Why was education something you wanted to enter into in the beginning, even before becoming a superintendent? And, and, you know, kind of the elevator story on me is that, you know, I was born, raised, educated right here in Caddo Parish, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, You know, both my parents were uh, career educators in this school system. So I was raised in and a part of this system. You know, I tell people all the shoes that I owned as a child came by way of Caddo Parish schools and my parents' employer. Uh, I had a wonderful education in this system. and And I really do believe when I left this system, I was prepared to accomplish anything that I wanted to accomplish. I left here, went off to Morehouse, and, you know, from a family of educators, but um, I've kind of fought the bug and went into business, was living a very successful um, business career after graduating and had an opportunity to do a job fair, uh, to coordinate a job fair through my corporate uh, employer at the time, and it was at um, Kennedy Middle School at that time in very, very inner city Atlanta public schools. the bug bit, and I just kind of realized that I was fighting this, and that education was what I what it was what I was to do with my life. So I went, jumped in a couple certification classes, got certified pretty quick, and started teaching. And I tell you, Clay, the rest is history. But one thing I'll say though is that, like I, I mentioned earlier, I felt that this system truly provided me with all the keys that I needed to be successful at whatever avenue I chose, and, and certainly a superintendent. And as an educator, that's always been my goal, to make sure that whether I was a math teacher in Fort Worth, Texas, mm-hmm. or an assistant principal in the same pair, system in Texas, I wanted to make sure that I was doing everything I could so that children left and felt prepared uh, for life. And, and life's a pretty serious thing. Yep. And the last thing I'd want is someone to go into life not prepared when we could do something to impact that. Well, you were principal at Danny Jones Middle School in Mansfield ISD. And it's interesting now as superintendent, let's talk about proximity as, as a principal, as someone who worked in a, in a, in a school, you had the opportunity to see the kids and everything they brought into the building with them every day. And I often think when we talk from a high altitude about what's happening in a system, we sometimes forget that these are not just statistics. These are little people who bring into the building everything that was happening with them at the home. So just talk a little bit about that experience, meeting these children, seeing what they're going through, watching their capacity to learn, etc. You know, what I'll say, though, is, is I'm going to go back a little farther even than Danny Jones. If I think about myself as a math teacher, okay. uh, you know, at the time you taught anywhere from 120 to 150 kids, and your, your, your goal was to impact them as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. I will tell you the decision oftentimes for educators to transition from the classroom to administration is about that bigger 
greater impact, that larger impact. Yeah. And that's what an assistant principal role would provide for you. Uh, it gives you an impact then to kind of mold and shape the character. Yeah. Those things that are important, those behavioral aspects that we know are important to children. Then you look at the principalship as you, you know, you're over an entire school and you look at the middle school principalship as an opportunity for you to impact that what thousand kids and really ensure the teachers are providing them what they need to be successful at high school. I went on there to be a high school principal and then you're really looking at the end game. How does that, what what are the graduates feeling? What are they thinking? What are their, their their areas of preparation as they leave the high school? And certainly as a superintendent you're looking at this from the perspective of not only a whole system but more so an impact on community, an impact on culture, an impact on climate of the city and what is the impact that the school system and and the people thereof are making on the environment. So uh that that's all huge, and that and that all builds on uh, on uh, from one level to the next. And I tell you, the impact is just larger. And and when I look at superintendency as to related to principalship, the change is about impact. I mean, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, the principalship is the most important job in a school system because you are that leader that's pretty close to the heartbeat of the kids. But I tell you, the superintendency provides an opportunity to really keep the world off the principles so that the principals can, you know, hustle and work hard for kids every day. It's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the district and, and the percentage of poverty schools in the district. I had David Tatman on here recently, who's president of the EBR school board. And we talked uh-huh. about the inner city, and, and, I'll, and I'll throw this at you, something I said to him, that the grading system that we have is necessary because you need to know how schools perform. You need to know what's mm-hmm. happening in the classroom. But the variable that you and your staff at the district office and that every principal, every teacher can never control is what is happening in the home. And often right. what happens in the home has an impact on how the child is prepared and performs at the school do you think that there should be more attention paid on that variable, the one thing that can impact a child's ability to succeed or fail? You know, what I'll tell you is that, you know, I once worked for, um, when I was in Fort Worth, when I was a principal there, I had an, um, a director at the time, and I remember having a conversation, and I remember attributing some, uh, pro- some results to uh, current students' home life. And I remember he told me that's what he called soft data. And he called it soft data because it was things that you could not control. Right. So in essence, his goal was that how are you going to perform in spite of the soft data? Right. And, and you know, I've kind of wired myself as an educational leader uh, around that thought process that, you know, don't worry about the things that you can't control. Now, I think that's easy to say in the reality of work, but I think that when you think about uh, some of the judgments and some of the opinions that are placed on school systems, you have to go back and say, wow, how could we equalize this? How could we consider the home lives of children? How could we consider the support systems of children when they're outside of our when they're outside of the school day? Because quite frankly, they're at home far more than they're at school. Right. So how can we consider that as we provide educational um, opportunities for children, or more importantly, as we judge schools? 
And I don't know the answer to that question. But for today in Caddo Parish, in spite of the soft data, we're going to do everything we can to be as high a performing district as we possibly can, especially there as compared to districts that look like us. As right. you know, we're the third largest system in the, in the state, right. only followed behind Jefferson and East Baton Rouge Parish. So in, if you're to compare us to those and maybe a couple others, we certainly want to make sure that we are um, competitive with, with those markets. You have over 40,000 students in that district and, you know, young lives that your system is helping to mold and hopefully become creators and contributors to society. And again, I, I'm, I often kind of cringe at the politicization of education to the degree that we've some people forget that this is about the kids as uh, the students as a superintendent how do you balance some of the political demands on your time with people pulling you in one direction or another and then your commitment to the children and the staff and the employees of your district so, you know, I often describe this as my new normal. Uh, this is truly a 24-7 position. Uh, whether I'm at church, uh, whether I'm in the grocery store, I'm always on uh, on duty is what I've learned. Right. And, and, you know, I say that this work, like no work, is for everybody. Uh, there is a certain skill set. I call it, it's a calling, a blessing uh, from God to be able to, to be equipped to lead at this level. I often tell people that the superintendency is the most un uh, political, unelected official you'll ever find. Uh, and, and I think by virtue of the fact that I work for a board of seven, you know, 12 people right. who all have an equal vote, uh, right. that, that makes it a very political position. I think you have to be uh, the personality that can embrace and work within that in order for you to be successful at this work. And I do believe that, uh, I do believe, I believe God has given me that gift to be able to function within the high stress, high needs um, that, that the superintendency does provide or offer to, to us. You know, you're one of the most optimistic, always working hard, looking at, you know, how can we be better? How, you know, what can we do to be better? And also celebrating the victories. Man, in this, in this climate of criticism that exists, how do you maintain that? Pray. <laughs> I tell you, but, but what I'll tell you is that I, I was blessed with a high level of optimism, optimism, optimism. I'm not saying this word right, but a high level of an optimistic attitude as we look at things that are happening, uh, not only in the life, but in, in, in life, but in the world in general. Uh, and I do think that um, I know that if I don't fight for the children, there's so many that nobody will. So I know that I can't get caught up in the little things. I can't get caught up in being pessimistic because if I do that, it's going to take away from opportunities to fight for children, especially those that have no one else to fight for them. So I do believe I was I, I, mean, I am in a, in a wonderful position for a time such as this. I do believe that uh, there's a population of children that will be better forever because uh, this board selected me as superintendent. So I try and stay focused on that, which is which is huge, man. I mean, I'm not making Tahoes. I'm not making widgets. I'm impacting children. Right. Uh, they're priceless. There's no way you can put a value on a one of them, regardless of their zip code, area code, or anything. I mean, we I can't make you breathe. I can't make you talk. Those These are priceless resources, and that I'm impacting them is powerful, and I certainly don't want it to ever be said that I didn't give it my all. 
Well, you know, I've watched you interact with with children there and with teachers there and, and just kind of see the commitment that you have to them. And, you know, it's it's interesting. In one of your schools, you've got a fully functional courtroom. And I remembered being in there and watching these students go through a mock trial with the prosecutor and the defense attorney and all of the machinations of being in a courtroom. And it was fascinating. And man, I often say if we give these kids an opportunity to learn, if we set the table right and give them the chance to do what they can do, they'll surprise us more often than not. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. In fact, I love watching it happen, Clay. Clay, as we look and the school that you're talking about is an absolute Title I school, probably about uh, 95% economically disadvantaged, about 98% minority. Uh, this is a population of kids that many have written off. But I love creating those unique opportunities, those opportunities for them to do things that no, you know, no one thinks they can pull off and to see them do it effectively. Uh, the, the situation you're talking about, they have done a wonderful job of interacting with their peers through a peer-based discipline system where they are the one, when you get it, when a, when a student receives a, ref, a referral for um, inappropriate behavior, they're actually working with their peers to determine their consequences. So we have seen huge successes with that. You know, one and of the, that. I enjoyed seeing it. And, and one of the new, the new discussions that's going on around the state is ESSA. Uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act and how it will impact school districts around the state. First of all, your perspective on ESSA and how will it impact what Caddo is doing? You know, I'm really excited about ESSA, especially in the respect that there is a focus on equity. Uh, you know, one thing that I've embraced since um, I started this job in December of 2013 is the importance of equity. And understand something about large systems like Caddo in the state of Louisiana, especially, is that they really are multiple school districts in one. Uh, if you look at the ind independent school district in Texas, the concept was developed around like-minded people, uh, like-valued people, educated their children in a, in a very small, independently um, dictated uh, system. But mm -hmm. where and you look at the parish system, this parish is diverse. If you look at um, Cattle Magnet High and our magnet school systems, that's a group of schools. Our, our suburban schools are a group of schools. Uh, we have rural schools that if I leave this office now, it would take me 45 minutes to travel to. But at the same time, you have urban schools. So to say that everyone's needs are the same is ridiculous. Right. ESSA will take that into consideration. Uh, you know, I tell people oftentimes we're not a system that believes in every child having a shoe, but we're believing every child having a shoe that fits. So we are looking at some of those equitable opportunities, which provide better opportunities for all children. So, and I do believe ESSA is going to help with that. With that. So that, that's such a great point. That's what I was referencing earlier. In your household, in my household, the requirements and, and the, the ability to be involved in the, in the product from the child is different because of structure that may be there. Some kids right. are, are in broken homes where the structure isn't there. And that isn't to say that they don't have adults in the house that care about them. And I think that's always the assumption, too. But in, in some cases, kids are in situations that are different. I do believe that those circumstances have to be taken into consideration and, as you say, make certain that they're wearing a shoe that fits and that we're remembering this is about the children. Absolutely. 
And so, you know, it, some of the some of the accomplishments that your district has had since you have been there, you know, the past couple of years, you've had 10 students score perfect scores on the ACT. You're the state leader in National Blue Ribbon Schools of Excellence, 15 awards from schools in your district. You've got teachers that are sold out to the mission. And it, here's here's a question. Let me put you on the seat speaking for all of education. How do you make the average person who doesn't have a child in a system or skin in the game fall in love again with making certain schools work? Wow, that's a very good question. And I tell you, uh, when you look at, um, you know, as a, as a state, we have a declining population, and certainly we do as a parish. Right. I think when you look at uh, the, the introduction of charter schools and competition, you know, I, I remember when I was in school, you know, Cattle School, that was the best ticket in town. I mean, right. you, you would move to a community, and your parent would find the school that's closest to your house. They'd drive there. They didn't ask the quality of teachers. They didn't ask if the school had a, you know, perfect ACT score. They just enrolled you in the school, and they went home and prayed that you got what you needed. Uh, that game has changed, though, and it's changed in that we now have to compete uh, not only from from a student perspective, but from a revenue perspective. So I do think that when you're doing things like uh, increasing uh, ACT scores and seeing um, major improvement in AP scores, those are things that you have to market. And I do think that we live in this social media uh, generation. <laughs> I do think you have to take advantage of every opportunity so that people know the quality of work and the quality of product that you're seeing within your public school system. And Cattle Parish is intentionally doing that. I think for the first time in the last 10 years, School districts are having to budget for marketing and for communications so that we can make sure that the message and that that we control the message as much as we can. But more importantly, that we are selling those things that work for families and parents, Uh, those things that will make us the the, the leading choice for those families as they make the decisions around their children. Uh, I think also our impact on the community, our impact on business and opportunities for work, those are things we take every advantage of within our school system. You know, and and I'm not, uh, I don't want to pull you into politics. That's not what you do as as an individual and, and in your job, you serve everyone. But I'll throw this at you. There's always an argument made against uh, adults who are ill-prepared to be in the workforce or adults who don't have options because of the lack of, of education or uh, abilities that they can go out and use to ply a trade. And my argument against that is, listen, if we can support public education, if we can make certain that kids in schools have an opportunity to have a skill or go on to a two- or four-year institution and become productive citizens – that has an impact on all of those negative things that people want to do something about, which I think is an argument for people being in the game and making certain that every child has an opportunity to learn. Do you think that's fair? I, I totally agree with you. And in fact, you know, one thing I'll add to that, too, though, is even to the extent that we as a school system can help prepare people for what they will face in this community. That also is going to bring great value uh, in, the, in that space, too, Clay. Yeah. And, and, you know, with everything coming up for this year that that started a little while Well, before I do that, ring the bell. Uh, this the, the kickoff ceremony that you do every year at a school in the district since you've been there. Uh, t- for people who are not obviously from Caddo or who have never heard of that, what is Ring the Bell? 
So a lot of time and energy goes into preparing to open a school year. And what Ring the Bell is, is it's, it's a symbolic um, ceremony. And we actually end that ceremony by ringing the official bell of the district, uh, signifying that school is now in session for another year. Uh, and I tell you, it's, it, it's so many different things for so many different people. For the whole school, it's an opportunity to really showcase their school and some of the great things happening. You know, for me and my staff alike, it's a time for us to really uh, kick it off. I mean, we've worked all summer because a lot of work um, to open a school year happens over the summer, and generally it's central staff uh, that's doing that work. So it's our opportunity to punt that ball down the, down the field. For our parents, though, we hope that the message, even if you're not there and you see the newscast, the message is that school is in session and we're going to, you know, give this everything we got for the next nine months so we can assure that this grade level, whatever it may be for your child, is the best ever. And um, it's kind of just a big hoorah pep rally type time to really just kind of energize everyone around the great things that are to happen in this school year. Do you ever feel over-criticized, almost as if people think that what the work that you have to do can be done overnight and that and that the things that you're trying to accomplish in helping kids, children reach their potential through education is seen as something that can happen with the snap of a finger. You know, Clay, one thing I want people to know is I do listen to the noise. I always listen to the noise. But, you know, I have a friend who's coined the phrase that I that I kind of live by, too, and it's unbothered. Uh, you know, I think I've been at this long enough to understand that uh, this seat I sit in was a choice yeah. and that there's a certain level of criticism that's going to go with this seat regardless of performance. Uh, and if it's not one thing, it's another, as my grandmother would say. <laughs> so um, I, I, can, I can deal with that. You know, and again, to me, it's about come at me, leave them alone and let them do what they do. Let leave my principals and my teachers and my paraprofessionals and my custodians, and my bus drivers, leave them alone. Come at me so that they can do what they do for children. So I do think a major role of the superintendency is having really tough tough skin yeah. and being willing to take the lick uh, for the people. You know, the, you've got this Let's Talk uh, initiative that started. What is Let's Talk? Really excited about Let's Talk, Clay. Uh, you know, and it's really about the whole phrase, we want to hear from you. Let's Talk is an opportunity for us to be connected to the community, to the stakeholders, to you, Clay, to anyone from a, on a 24-7 basis. So is there, if there is something you need to connect with us on, uh, there's an opportunity to go to our website, click on the Let's Talk app. It, it takes you through a menu of questions so that your question, concern, whatever it may be, is directed to someone that can help you in a very timely uh, fashion. Uh, Let's Talk on the backside, though, Clay, provides us with an opportunity to score ourselves on quality of customer service because of all of the different algorithms and all of the different things that it's tracking about how we respond to our stakeholders. This is just another opportunity and a venue for us to be as transparent as possible with getting information to the community as quickly as we can. If there is one thing you'd like to say first to all of the employees of your district, the teachers, the principals, the support staff, the, the, the bus drivers, everyone, something that you would like them to know, A, about what you think of the job they're doing, and B, about yourself that maybe they don't know, what would you, what would you say those two things are? 
You know, the one thing that I that I love to tell people is just to simply thank you. Uh, thank you for being a wonderful teacher. And, and I don't say that, you know, to say that I'm only talking to people who have classrooms of 25 kids. I'm saying that to everyone, whether you're a cafeteria uh, person and you've provided students with, for many, the only hot meal they'll have today. Uh, whether you're a bus driver who provides children with the only way of getting to school, the only transportation to and from school that they have every day. Whether you excuse me, whether you're a custodian who's very concerned with ensuring that the school building is clean so that children are stay healthy, regardless of your role in the system, I just want to say thank you because what you are doing and what you're investing, it cannot be measured by money. It can't be measured by an evaluation. It is truly priceless. And I'm just so happy to have, you know, 5,200 wonderful people assembled that want to do this work every day. And, and the one thing about myself is that I promise to do my absolute very best to provide opportunities for children that are extraordinary, that are awesome, that are past just what we would expect, but that truly provide students with an opportunity to have an education of a lifetime. Now, what I'll tell you, though, is that not every decision is easy and not everyone you'll agree with. But at the end of the day, Focus on knowing that our goal, my goal, their goal has to be providing opportunities for children. I don't think people people recognize that part of it. I know that when all of the discussion about consolidating schools and closing schools was going on, that that had to be agonizing for you because, you know, the history people have with these school buildings. But at the end of the day, I'm sure the nucleus of every decision is what is best for children. And what I'll tell you, Clay, is that that's still a very relevant conversation, uh, um, unfortunately. But yeah. if we're truly to, be, to provide the best opportunity to the 40,000 that rely on us today, uh, there are some decisions that have to be made at the same time that will not sit well with everyone. But again, if we all truly focus on the children that are in school today, I do believe we can get to a resolution. And that, that's why... Um, electing the right people to school board with the right intention is so critical because they're going to make decisions that will impact right. uh, this system forever to come. I agree a million percent. And, and I'll leave with this. I, when people talk about inner city schools, I often tell people it is it is ignorant and it is unfair to only refer to any inner city schools by children who either have behavioral issues or, or who are in situations where they, they just, you know, they, they can't get there. I think the over, overwhelming majority of children, upwards of 95%, come to school and have the capacity to win at education. And that all of the stakeholders have to give them that shot. And it, it, you know, it truly is the soft bigotry of low expectation if every child doesn't have the opportunity to learn in an environment that will help them win. Is that a fair statement? I think it's very fair. And what I'll tell you, though, even more so to support that, is that we have all got to work against that opinion. That's it, right. it cannot be only people in urban school system. It can't be the teachers in the transformational zone. That's right. It has to be all of the system working uh, to that end. Yep.
I agree 100%. Well, Doc, keep up the great work there. And listen, next time you're in Baton Rouge, you got to do this in the studio. I would love to do it, Clay. <laughs> and I really do appreciate your continued support, not only of our school system, not only of our community, but our state as a whole. We need more Clay Young, no <laughs> doubt about it. Thank you, brother. Executive Tone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over 40 years. Executive Tone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors' offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom technology while saving money? That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service. Service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call, 225-295-3500. It's 295-3500. Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here, and they're going to continue to give you great service. Yes, sir. Busy one today. Great conversation with Bishop Omar Jower. <laughs> and any of his, if any of his church members are listening, he was joking in the beginning, but he is too funny. Great sense of humor. And also with Dr. Lamar Gorey, who you can see and hear, you can feel his compassion and commitment to the children of the Caddo Parish school system and then children in general. And I got to commend everyone again on the comments. I mentioned it in the section with Bishop Omar that it stayed civil. I think one of the, I did miss a couple from Twitter. I think every one that I read, I got from, I got from Facebook. But there were a couple on there from Twitter that I can't seem to, uh, JR says it depends uh, through which, Lens, you look. It is hard to argue about the economy and overall opportunity in, in current America. Both would be seven to eight, in my opinion. Social environment, two to three. There is so much anger and hostility in the news. It's as bad as our generation has witnessed. That cool guy says, I give a strong two. There's a strong racial divide in America that only grew stronger over the past five years. People showing their true colors. And worst of all, we have politicians that want to stop the freedoms like the right to speak out on social issues. So lots of great feedback. We'll do that again for other shows. I, I don't plan to overdo things like that, but I did enjoy what contribution I got from all of you. So thank you so much. And again, thank you to Dr. Gorey and Bishop Omar for coming on with us on episode 175. Can you believe it, man? Almost at 200 episodes of this show. I'm pretty proud of it, and I am very grateful to you for being with me on this journey. Thank you. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the day wherever you are, and we'll catch you next time here on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.